Um, I, I have a whole introduction that's full of little quips and it's hilarious and awesome and amazing. And um, I'm not gonna share it though because we don't uh, wanna save on time. Um, but I do wanna say happy 4th of July. Um, happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. I'm excited to um, celebrate the 4th of July tonight with family and friends in the most American way possible. With classy explosives and with a barbecue that tastes like pure lighter fluid. I am so excited about that. I do not understand why we do that, but for some reason we do and we love it. And if it doesn't taste like lighter fluid, did the 4th of July really even happen? Um, legend has it that it's, it's not 4th of July without that taking place. Uh, <laughs> this morning... I want us to turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18 is where we're gonna be looking at. And if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, that's perfectly fine. They'll have it up on the screen. And if they don't, I'll be reading it. So just listen and uh, we'll get through it. But um, I do wanna give a brief uh, setting of Jeremiah. I think a lot of times when we read the word of God, um, we forget that this was written in a historical context of the time. It was written to a certain people group. And uh, like we, we, we like steal little Bible verses and we tattoo it on our body or we put it on our mirrors or home decor and we're like, oh, that speaks to me so much. And you're like, wow, that was really talking about the destruction of Israel, but whatever. Um, and um, I remember just real quick, I remember we, we moved into a house in August. It'll be a year that we've lived there. And I remember opening the mail one day and uh, I did that thing, you know, where you just kind of rip them all open and read it. And I was reading this letter and it was about like the tax on the house or something like this. And I was like, I thought this was already taken care. What is this? I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was like, well, I'm a new homeowner. So maybe, I don't know. I just don't understand what's being said in this. And I was reading through it and I couldn't make sense of what it said and how it applied to me. And then I thought, maybe I should read the envelope. And so I go and I find the envelope and I read it and I realize two things. I find out who it was from, who it was written from, and I find out who it was written to. And it was not written to me. It was to the other homeowner. I was still getting their mail. And I was like, ah, that makes way more sense now that I can't figure out how this applies to me because it wasn't written for me. And sometimes I think we do that same thing with the word of God. We look at these letters and, and different things that have been written down and uh, we try to make them apply and fit into our life. When God is saying, hey, don't try to fit this into your life. Try to fit into my story that I've written throughout history where I'm declaring who I am to my people. And so today I want to give you all of that to say, because I didn't give you the funny quips at the beginning. Um, I'm going to talk to you about Jeremiah a little bit. So Jeremiah was a prophet and he was in Jerusalem, uh, which was the southern kingdom at this time. Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And God is using him as a prophet to speak to his people. And he's actually warning them of what's to come because they have turned away from God. They've actually turned the temple into a place where they're worshiping God and they're worshiping idols. They're worshiping false gods outside of the temple, even to the point of child sacrifice. Like it's getting really bad, right? 
and um, they're fitting, trying to fit all of these false gods into the worship of their God, I think we can all look around our society and within the church ourselves and see that our society is doing the same thing, that we are trying to fit idols into the worship of our God and they just do not go together. And so Jeremiah is speaking uh, on behalf of God to his people and, and we pick up in, in Jeremiah 18 and the Lord, it says this in verse one, it says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So he's telling him to go somewhere and then he's gonna speak. Why? Because he wants to, him to see something. Who's a visual learner? I for sure am, like I need to see it. And so in verse three, it says, so I, Jeremiah, did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. He crushed it into a lump of clay and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. What a powerful image that we're getting here. See, God through Jeremiah is telling the people, look at what you are doing. Look at what you have done, what you've become. You have made my promise that I have given you and the promised land perverse. You've perverted the promise that I've given you. And it's not the promise and the purpose I had for you, that I had intended for you. And because of their sin, their disobedience, and their unwillingness to humble themselves before God and turn to him, God tells them that he is going to break them down and crush them like the image we get at the potter's house. And that's exactly what happens. Later on in Jeremiah, we see that the words and the warnings that take place, because he predicted or he prophesied that Babylon was going to come and capture Jerusalem and the people and take them captive and take them from their land. And that the city of Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, their, their temple, where the temple of God was, and their city would be pillaged and destroyed and turned to rubble. And it's funny because God is super savage because he even says that it will be a monument to their stupidity. It's like, yikes, whoa. I didn't even know we were allowed to say stupid, God. But he says, it will be a monument to your stupidity. And so that's what happens. They're captured and they're taken away from their promised land. You know, the thing about it is, is that the children of Israel, their whole identity was wrapped up in that promise. Do you realize that? Who they were was literally the promised land, the people of the promise of God. And that identity has now been stripped away from them. 
that city, their temple, where they worship, where they, their place of governance has been ripped away completely because of their disobedience. But all throughout this, there's still something that happens. And it's in the image that we get at the potter's house. It's this. It, and, and if we go back, actually, can we bring up that scripture again? It says this. The jar he was making didn't turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it, which is what's happening to Israel, into a lump of clay. But then it says what? So he could start over. And another version of it says, so that he could form it into what was pleasing to him. He was crushing it so that he could reform it. And so even in that crushing that's taking place in Israel, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer of hope through that, that just like in the story of the potter, that God is going to restore his people back to him. And we see throughout history and the prophets at the time, they give that word that there is hope of restoration, that God will restore his people back to him. But first there's going to be a breaking down that takes place, a crushing that happens. Now I am a person that loves to take in um, random knowledge and uh, some people would say it is useless knowledge. Um, but hey, if you're ever trying to build a curb, I'm your guy. Uh, I watched like a documentary on how they make curbs. So yeah, <laughs> my wife is like looking at my phone like, I wonder what he's watching. Oh, it's like a popcorn video on how popcorn kernels are made or something random like that that no one needs to know. Um, but I like, to, uh, I like to watch videos like that and um, I'm a wealth of useless knowledge. I was watching this video of, and I watch a lot of his videos. There's a, there's a guy on YouTube who, who posts videos of him um, uh, making pottery, like these beautiful, like not just like, you know, what you did in like the fourth grade, but like these beautiful um, pots and, and vases or vase, depending on how pretentious you are. Um, <laughs> Um, and, and, and he's making them and they're beautiful. They're just gorgeous. And there, he released a video recently. Uh, it was a compilation video of all of the fails of all the times that he messed up or that the, the clay didn't quite turn out the way he wanted it to. And I remember watching that and there was this one, um, vase that he was making in particular, and it was super intricate and beautiful it, it, was, it really was astounding. And he gets like the whole bottom section of it is made. It looks like he's just about to put it um, in the, the fire to, to temper it and stuff like that. He, it looks like he's getting ready to finish it. But what he does is he begins to work his hand up at the top of it because he's trying to make it a little bit taller and a little bit wider. And as he begins to put pressure on the clay, it folds in on itself at the top. And I'm like, oh no. And then he does something that was baffling to me. He just takes the whole thing and crushes it. He doesn't even like hesitate. He just crushes the whole thing. This beautiful thing that he had just made and puts it and makes it into a lump of clay again. And then he reaches for the clay, grabs a little bit more, 
puts it back in the lump of clay that was that beautiful vase, wets his hands and begins to form the vase again. And in my mind, I was like, why didn't he just start from the top? Like where it just kind of folded in on himself. Why didn't he just start up there? Why did he have to crush the whole thing? It was because if he would have started at the top where it fell over, it would have never reached the potential that he wanted it to reach because it wasn't strong enough for the pressure of the stretching and tension of making it taller and wider into what he was forming it into. So we had to bring it down to crush it and then add to it so that he could build it up again into the vase that he wanted it to become so that it would be strong enough to withstand the pressure of the stretching and the forming. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And like immediately when I'm looking at this and, and I'm thinking about this, I'm just like, oh God. You know, I'm just like breaking down because it's such a beautiful picture of how God works in our life. That when we are yielded to him, he takes and strengthens us, even in our weakened state, to form us, to restore us and to his initial intent, purpose and promise for our life. And he breaks us down just to build us back up again in his strength, not ours. In his strength, not ours. God has never and will never seek our power from us. It's our weakness that isn't resistant to force that he is after. A yielded heart and will to him because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. His strength is made perfect in our brokenness before him. And in that place of yielded brokenness before God, he can then shape us into his will and purpose for our or for his glory. And that's what God is speaking to us today. He wants a people that will be yielded and broken before him. That will cry out, God, break me. That's a dangerous prayer. God, break me. Every preconceived idea that I have of you. What I think worship looks like. What I think a church service should look like. What I think that love, the love of Christ should look like. God, break down my political beliefs. Whoa. In a nation that's kind of divided on the birthday of that nation, that's a difficult topic to hit on. So sorry, America. But not sorry. God wants a yielded, broken heart so that he can form it into his initial or his initial intent and purpose for your life. See, so many times God's purpose and promise in our life, we try to make happen on our own. And we try to build it ourselves. 
We try to build up things in our life. And there's a beautiful story of this that we read. It actually takes place in Genesis. But I wanna look at a different perspective of it. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11. The story is about Sarah and Abraham. And um, Sarah and Abraham, they are given a promise that they will have a son. And what's amazing about that is they're both super old. And it says that Sarah's womb is dead. <laughs> like, so they're promised a son. And that from that son, the nations will be born. And those people will have a covenant promise with God throughout time. And that they'll be as numerous as the stars. And so, before we look at that, and worship team, you can start making your way up. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wrap up real quick here. These people got barbecue plans, I'm sure. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 through 13, or through 12. So in, in Hebrews, what's happened at the beginning of this chapter is it, it's the, the chapter that starts out with, now faith is the reality or the assurance of what is hoped for or the proof or conviction of what is not seen. So it's setting up what faith looks like and, and that how these people that he's about to speak of, the writer of Hebrews is about to speak of, um, is um, they have been faithful and counted as, as right, as, as good before God, as righteous before him because of their faith. And it says this in chapter 11. It says, it was by faith that even Sarah, the first time I read that, I was a little bit put off because it's like, even Sarah. Have you ever been around a person that's like, this is so easy, even you can do it. Like, it's like, I'm about to slap you. Even Sarah, and it's like no wonder the he writers of Hebrews is like anonymous because he's throwing so much shade at Sarah. <laughs> but it says, even Sarah. And then I went on after I got past my grudge. And then I went on and read, and it says, even Sarah was able to have a child. Check this out. Though, everybody say though. She was barren and was too old. See, that changes things. Because now it's an even though statement. Even though. So it could read, even though Sarah was barren, she was able to have a kid. Even though. I love even though sentences and statements. Even though. Because it means, despite the fact that, despite the fact that, this is where her even though statement comes from right here. She believed that God would keep his promise. Yo, <laughs> she believed that God would keep his promise. That's where her even though statement came in because her story could have been, Sarah was barren. How many of us are living without even those statements in our life that our story is, I'm struggling with depression. My marriage is falling apart. I am broke and always will be. How many times is that our story? 
But if we believe in the promise that God is a God of the promise who keeps his promise and is reforming us and reshaping us, that when we're yielded to him, that we will be reformed and shaped into the promise, into the initial purpose, then we can say what? I'm struggling with the addiction. But even though I'm struggling with it, I know that God is the God of a promise and that he's promised me freedom and victory. And so even though I struggle with addiction, I'm free. I don't think this side is catching it. Even though I struggle with depression, I know that my God is a God of peace and comfort. I know that my God is a God that shows up and because he's the God of the prophets, even though I struggle with depression, I can have peace and love and hope in my life. How many times do we live a life without the even those statements that despite the fact that I'm a failure, despite the fact that I'm unqualified, God shows up and remakes me and reforms me because he's the God of the promise and he has spoken promise over my life. That was free. That wasn't even. (laughs) And I love this. Verse 12. And so a whole nation came from this one man talking about Abraham. That was as good as dead. That's in the Bible, guys. That's in the Bible. That was as good as dead because he was so old. Like next time you go to a parent or grandparent's birthday, she'd be like, well, you're as good as dead. (laughs) It's biblical. As good as dead. How many of us are in that place right now where we think that our promise is as good as dead? Or we think that our healing is as good as dead? Or we think that our marriage is as good as dead? Where we think that our life is worthless and is as good as dead? even though Abraham was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore, there is no way to count them came from him. Did you hear it? There is so much more to this and I wish I could go into it. I have to do a part two in a few months from now when I speak again. But I do want to say this about the children of Israel. To wrap that up. Let me say this about Sarah first. We know that in the story of, uh, of, of Abraham and Sarah, that they're given, this abil- they're given this promise that they will have a son and that from the son, many nations will be born. Right? This promise is given to them. What does Sarah do? She says, I can't give you a son. I'm not capable of doing it. So here is my servant, Hagar. Lay with her, she'll bear you a son. What did she just try to do? She tried to build her own blessing. She tried to produce her own promise because she didn't at that moment believe that God was actually capable of doing that that he was able to reform her and reshape her into the promise that he had made to them. 
and she begins to build her own blood. And, and this, this crazy thing happens that after she gets pregnant and Hagar has Ishmael, what happens? She becomes bitter towards Hagar. How many times have we built our own blessing and said it was God? And then when it started falling apart, we get mad and blame God because the blessing that he gave us is falling apart. That blessing becomes a burden. How many times are we guilty of doing that? But what God tells them is he says, no, look, <laughs> if I was just giving you a son, that's something that you could have done and you did do. You made it happen with a servant. But I'm not just giving, that's not the promise. That was a miracle that you're gonna have a kid that I'm gonna open up your womb and birth something from you. But that's not the promise. What was the promise? The promise is that Abraham and Sarah would become the mother and the father of many nations and that kings would come from them. And through their bloodline, the salvation of humanity and Jesus Christ would be birthed. That was the promise. They could make the kid happen, but they couldn't make the covenant promise between God and man take place. And when we try to build stuff up in our life, when we try to build our own promise and form our own life, we may look at it and be like, I'm blessed right now. But that thing is fragile and will break down because just like the clay pot, it is not strong enough to contain the promise and the blessing that God has for you. And God is calling you to be broken before him and trust in him and obey him and know that he is the God of the promise and that he has promised you something and that he is forming you into a vessel that is capable of holding that promise, capable of maintaining that promise. And that's what he's doing here at Uncommon Church. If you'll stand up on your feet this morning. what he's doing here is he's forming us and shaping us and asking us to be broken before him so he can do something new we've heard the word revival thrown around a lot since we've seen amazing services taking place here and that's great but what if revival it doesn't look like a revolution What if revival's not a revolution, which is an overthrowing or a complete replacing of something or someone, but instead it's a reformation? What? It's a reformation. And this is the God's honest truth. This is the dictionary definition of reform. It says this, it's amazing. It is amending or improving by changing the form of something or by removing faults, blemishes, or abuses. That's not from the Bible. That's just the definition of reform. And that's what God is doing is he's wanting to start revival in you, in your life. And he's saying, I'm not going to throw you away, but I might crush you. I might need you to be broken so that I can reform you, that I can reshape you because I got a promise that I need you to be able to sustain. And that's what God is doing in us now. That's what God is calling us to, to be a people of his promise. This morning, with 
heads bowed and eyes closed. For everyone in this room, if you would be honest with yourself, search your heart and look at your life and say, God, there are things that I've built up that I need you to break down. God, break me. If that's you this morning, could you lift your hands? You're like, there's something in my life right now that I need broken down. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pride. I think we should all raise our hand for pride. I see your hand, 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 I see your hand. There's so many hands going up because we are all people that need to be broken down. You can put your hands down. For those of you who are watching at home, would you pray that prayer with us? God, break me. So real quick, for everyone in the room, for everyone that raised their hand, maybe maybe you weren't um, willing (laughs) to raise your hand in this moment. I just want to pray over you real quick. So if we could all lift our hands to heaven as a sign of yielding before him, a sign of surrender before him. God, we come before you this morning. God, and we cry out, break me. Break me. Can you just say that? God, break me. God, break my will. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. Break me, Father. Lord, break us so that you can form us and shape us into your initial intent and purpose for our life. So that you can raise us up to be a people of your promise that can sustain the promise and the blessing that you have for us. That we wouldn't be a people that try to build up ourselves or try to build up a miracle or try to build up a blessing in our life, but instead we would wait, yielding and broken in desperation before you and say, break me. can look back up at me this morning if you're here and maybe this is your first time in church or it's been a long time since you've been to church and you're like I don't even know what is going on I said it earlier but we believe in a God who loves us who cherishes us enough to break us and reform us into his image And we believe that years ago, the ultimate breaking took place on a cross. A submissive yielding of our creator died on the cross through the person of Jesus for you and for me. And we believe that he died for our sins, a debt that we couldn't repay. And this is what's amazing. After he was broken, which he said that he would have to be broken, there was a tomb. And in the tomb, the greatest reforming took place that the world has ever known. And that was that death, hell, and sickness were forever defeated. It was in the brokenness of Christ and in the reforming that the promised Messiah would show up and save his people. And that salvation is for you 
and it's for me, no matter where you're at. So this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would like to make the Lord the Lord of your heart, if you would like to make Jesus the Lord of your heart, of your life, maybe it's the first time or the first time in a long time, I wanna pray with you, but I would love to see you lift up your hand so I know who I'm praying for. If that's you, can you lift up your hand? I see your hand. Is there anyone else? I see your hand. Is there anyone else? I see your hand. Come on, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else to say, you know what? I've tried to be, build this too long. I wanna be broken before you and let you build me up, God. Anyone else? Amen and amen. Can we give God praise one more time? Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I wanna pray this prayer. You know, repeat after me with heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's all pray it together as a family. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn away from my old life. I believe that you stepped down from heaven to find me here where I am and pay the price of sin in my life. I accept your love. I accept your grace and ask that you would be the Lord of my life. God, break me and mold me after your will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Can we celebrate these people this morning that just went from death to life? That's the God that we serve, a God of the promise of life who steps into our life, who steps into our mess and reshapes and forms us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For those of you who raised your hand, we would love for you to fill out a Connect card. Our ushers, uh, they wanna find you because we have this Jesus wall over here and we want you to initial a light bulb and screw it in that shows all the people that have given their hearts and lives to Jesus. And we love to celebrate with you and we wanna connect with you. So we ask that you would fill out a Connect card and come up front and put in a light bulb. Um, and if you're online and you gave your heart and life to Jesus, we would love for you to text the word Jesus to 817-405-2244. And then after that, we ask that you'd be baptized. You saw the people get baptized today. That's your next step. And that you would join us in our growth track, which is how you can find out more about who God says you are, who he is, this church. And actually growth track one takes place today. So if you haven't done growth track one and you want to, man, we would love for you to join us. And um, yeah, so it's right after service. It'll be right down there. You'll see the signs for it. And if you have any questions about how to get to it, just ask one of our ushers or welcome team and they will be happy to help you out.